Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 87. Now this is a special fun episode. I am releasing my very first book in just a couple of days, September 22nd, my 30-day devotional called You Are Enough, Learning to Love Yourself the Way God Loves You will be released to the public. And so I've been trying to figure out how to best talk about it here and introduce it here. Obviously, I've been mentioning it for a while. But I thought it could be fun to have somebody interview me about the book. Now, actually, somebody else gave me that idea. I think it was Griselle Medina who I had on the show a while back. You should go back and listen to that. She's amazing. But somebody had said to me, wouldn't it be fun to interview you on your show? And I was a little bit self-conscious about that. Well, the time for self-consciousness is long gone, my friends. So I reached out to my friend Anthony McLean and asked him if he would be interested in interviewing me. And what you're going to hear is the result of that. And I don't think I could have made a better choice. I'd like to give you a bit of an introduction to Anthony because he, in his own right, is worth listening to. He is a speaker and rapper who delivers lively presentations on topics like bullying, mental health, diversity, and parenting. I have heard him speak. I've also been involved in pastoral ministry with him in the past. He's a respected voice in his field. Anthony's appeared as a guest speaker on CBC News in Canada, Breakfast Television, CP24, Global Toronto's Morning Show. And uh, he is like this, just this wonderful, warm, kind, fun guy who can just rock it from the stage and has these incredible gifts. He used to be an actor and TV and commercials. He likes to say that he once starred in a milk commercial without telling anyone that he was lactose intolerant. So he's a lot of fun. Anthony and his wife, uh, Susie Faith, who's a singer and actress, recently moved to LA uh, with their kids to uh, continue her acting career and, and, and their goals. So I'm so glad to introduce Anthony to you. I would like you to go at some point to anthonymclean.org. You'll find that linked in the show notes and you can book him to come and speak to your group. He's doing virtual presentations right now, of course, as well. But uh, yeah, I've, normally this is the point of the show where I would say, let me get out of the way so that we can hear a guest. The guest on today's show is me. So it's a little weird. But anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's a special day here in the Puddle household. My copies of the books actually arrived today. So I finally got to have it in my hands and, and look at it and feel it and, uh, and yeah, sit with my own heart and, and enjoy and savor what's finally arrived. Also, our middle child uh, got glasses today. They arrived today. We, we knew he'd need glasses. So it's been a big day in the Puddle household all around. Anyway, I'm, I'm so thankful for Anthony, and I hope that you will enjoy this interview all about how to learn to love yourself the way God loves you. And if it moves you, I hope that you will go and buy my book, You Are Enough, Learning to Love Yourself the Way God Loves You. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it feels so good saying that. I am Anthony McLean. It is an honor today to be joined by Mr. Podcast himself. Jonathan, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you, Anthony. It's lovely to be here with you. Yeah, man. I, I'm so glad you asked me to do this. Um, your book, You Are Enough, is something I've been waiting for and I've been looking for 
for uh, a couple of years now, and I'm so glad that it is going to be in the world where I can actually share it with people. Mm. Because I can't tell you how often I've wanted to have a conversation with someone about sort of trauma-informed, Jesus-centered spirituality. But without a resource, it's, it's hard to have that conversation. Have, have you found that as well? Yeah, the Venn diagram is pretty small on that one, where it's like mm. Jesus and church and like therapy and trauma and psychology. You know, yeah. it's kind of like just a little overlap. Thankfully, there seems to be more and more of it. I've, I've felt that I've had to do a lot of that kind of translation work as I introduce the concepts to people. It's kind of like, yeah, Jesus, but also, yeah, like not like stupid Jesus, like <laughs> science Jesus. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so for you, you know, I, I use the word trauma informed and in my own life and for Susie, my wife, therapy has been really key for us um, personally and understanding what trauma is and the damage it does to us and how we sort of have to untie those knots that might be that we might be tripping over in our daily lives. For you, um, what does trauma informed mean? And if someone's listening and they, they they're not familiar with that language. What does that mean? So I was one of those kids who grew up in like a pretty great life. Two parents, um, they are divorced now, but growing up, you know, I had two fam- two parents in the home, safety, clothes, food, uh, no major traumatic events in my life that I would have pointed to. Mm-hmm. When I was as an adult, I began to realize I've got actually a bunch of anger and pain and stuff stored away down here that I kind of haven't ever given voice to. I I learned the trauma-informed language from Ondi Kolber, who's a therapist and author in her own right. She actually Mm -hmm. wrote the the forward to this devotional. Right, yeah. She explains that, you know, any time that you experience something painful where the resources that you have available to you don't match the pain, Mm -hmm. trauma occurs. And... uh, Everybody kind of has their own working definition. And the the one that I personally kind of lean on is basically anytime that you experience something that overwhelmed your ability to cope with while remaining in your peaceful place. So we've all experienced trauma to some degree, whether those were were major events, bad things that happened to us or things that we saw that we should never have seen, or just the absence of support and affirmation during times that we really needed it. Those are all trauma events and and trauma periods and what happens then in our body is things get stuck the wounds uh, emotionally and mentally manifest in our body and so to be trauma informed really just means to understand that everything that happens in our life is in some way being filtered out of those things that happened to us and so it's kind of like a a gracious filter where it's like, I get to say to you, or even to myself, you were doing the best you could Mm -hmm. at the time with Mm -hmm. what you were given and the tools you had Mm -hmm. and the ways you chose to survive or the ways you found to survive. Don't need to feel shame for them. Like you were doing the best you could. Mm. So I'm not going to come down on you for your self-destructive habits until, I mean, I'm not going to come down on you at all, but, but, but let's understand through the lens of trauma that things happened to you and you got locked and stuck and, and restricted in certain ways and certain times of your life. 
in a way that you first need to be healed and, and receive freedom before you can just try and change your life, right? Like we've all just tried to change and be better people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and it, it doesn't, doesn't have lasting impact if there are wounds that are underneath in those hidden places of our lives. Mm-hmm. So to be trauma-informed means to sort of start from that perspective and use that as a lens on everything else. Okay, I'm, I'm big on examples. So can we talk through a few examples of what it might look like for someone to have gone through trauma? And I like that you pointed out that doesn't have to be one big traumatic event. It doesn't have to be uh, something, you know, that was criminal or abusive. It can be neglect. It can be you didn't get the love that you needed. But can you give me an example, maybe from your own life or someone who you've walked, uh, you know, through this process with, what did it look like for you to be tripping over something in your daily life that might've been connected to trauma that happened when you were a kid? So the example that is the most real to me is, uh, as I said, I grew up, had a great childhood, no significant pains to my knowledge, but my parents were missionaries. And so we moved all around. We lived in a ton of different countries and I never spent more than like three or four months in one place, which as a kid, I loved, I thought it was fun. I got to meet new people and travel the world. So I never attributed that as trauma, but as an adult, I remember one day I felt this, you know, this voice within that I attribute to God kind of prompt me and say, Jonathan, what would your life be like if you didn't believe every good thing was about to be taken away from you? (laughs) And and I was like, piss off ghost. (laughs) And (laughs) I was like, I don't believe that. And, And then I thought to myself, I do believe that. I believe that very deeply. That actually drives a lot of my life. You know, I had so many birthdays where I would have a new set of friends at every party because Mm. we were so transient and and moving around so much that I recognized as an adult, I had a tendency to over-attach. You know, some Mm. people, when they experience those kinds of relationships that break apart, it makes them want to never attach to people. I know Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's common for many folks. Well, for me, it was the opposite. I would smother. I would try to squeeze everything out of every encounter with any friend. Uh, you know, essentially I had really bad boundaries and, and I was kind of like an emotional black hole. My, my wife, my kids, everybody could pour all their love in, but mm. I was always just leaking out the bottom mm. because I had this area of pain where I was kind of would, would live out of this framework that things that, Things that were good wouldn't last. They would be taken away. Something would happen and I would lose it all and have to start again. And so as I began to do business with those memories, those pains, and turn inward and start to see myself, see five-year-old, six-year-old Jonathan, and start to move towards myself gently, it freed me from that. And like mm-hmm. it was a period of time and we can talk about the, how we get there. But, but the end result was like, I can get, I, I have peace in my relationships. You can come to my house. We can have a great time. And when you leave, I'm still at peace. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not like, Oh, I didn't get enough. I, I didn't get close enough dialogue. We didn't go deep enough in our conversation. It wasn't vulnerable enough. Like, like I would squeeze every, every last ounce out. Whereas now I, I live in this contentment, this peace because my needs are met in a way that I don't need you to, to do it for me anymore. 
You know what I mean? Mm, mm. But like I said, I, I didn't see that as trauma for a very long time. And it, and it took me, it took me the, really understanding that actually I probably didn't have enough stability that I needed. And maybe not every kid needs that, but Jonathan yeah. needed something during those years that Jonathan didn't get. You know, it's, I'm so glad you said that because I've spoken to siblings that grew up in the same home. And one sibling will say, we were fine, it was fine. And the other sibling has post-traumatic stress disorder. Totally. And is talking about their experience and how hard it was growing up in that home. And I think it's so important that we honor like our individuality and how this situation impacted me is different than how it impacted my siblings. And I'm allowed to process that on my own terms. Totally. And, and I think it's so beautiful to be able to acknowledge that. I, my, my theory on that is is twofold. One, obviously we're just different people and we have different personalities and we have, we're unique. But I think also God gifts us with certain innate values. You could call it purpose or destiny, whatever. And I'm not talking about like, it's my destiny to be the king. More, more just like, like Anthony, I know there are things that you are uniquely passionate about. There's things that grind your gears. There are injustices that tweak you in a way that they don't mm-hmm. quite tweak me. Yeah. And so I think what happens is with that early soul gift from God, there are events that happen in my life. There are events that happen in your life that are uniquely painful to us. Right. Because right, of right. the gifts that we're given to carry. Um, so I don't think we're solely or predominantly shaped by the bad things. I think God gifts us to the world with certain, you know, purposes and and dreams and visions as it were. And then certain events that we experience are uniquely traumatic to us because of the gift we're meant to carry. Right. Of course. So if you have a passion for, you know, uh, justice or racial justice, then any instance of racism or even microaggressions, they're going to hit you in a different way than they're going to hit other people. I like right. that. And yeah. I think, I think a, a lot of literature, especially around the, the Enneagram, which I really value. I think a lot of literature has focused on the brokenness aspect that this happened to you and it broke you. And so you are sad about this forever. And I, th- I think that's faulty, but I think, I think it, ma- it marries unfortunately well to faulty theology that says, you know, like the heart is wicked. You are evil yeah. you are, are like a, a wretched worm. And it's just the charity of God that he has anything to do with you. It's almost like two sides of the same coin. So I, I think it helps us to start from a place of like actually like original blessedness that yeah. like you have always been the beloved of God and he yeah. gave you life a to enjoy just so that you could enjoy life and love but also so you could bring a unique color and flavor of life into this world so that others would be blessed mm. by it. Mm-hmm. And certain pains wounded you more deeply than others because mm. of those gifts. Yeah. So Man, we're returning. Like so we're returning to original goodness, not, you know, <laughs> just yeah. patching up a broken wall. I like that. Um, that kind of ties into something I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, I grew up in a family where I was the youngest. And because I was the youngest, I always felt like I was playing catch up that the, you know, my two older siblings were talking about stuff. I didn't know Uh, they were always going off and, Oh, can I come too? they'd be talking about TV shows or movies I wasn't allowed to watch. And so I was, I was always playing catch up later on in life. I, um, I, I, I didn't finish high school. 
uh, grade 12, my life was in shambles and I, 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 I didn't get enough credits. And then I was going to go back for uh, grade 13 for like a victory lap to get my last three credits. That's all I needed. And that year I had an audition. I was working as an actor uh, for a theater company and I got into the theater company. And so I was gone for nine months with this theater company. And so I never finished high school. So because I always wanted to be an actor, it didn't seem important that I didn't have my high school diploma. But as I got into my 20s, it became this kind of shame, the secret. Like I didn't finish high school. I never went to university. And I just felt like this deficit. And what it made me do was similar to being like the youngest in my family and always playing catch up. And like people are talking about things I don't understand not having this high school diploma, not going to any post-secondary education, I just always felt this like, I'm not enough. Mm. I don't know what, what's going on enough. And it drove me to read and to listen to podcasts and just try to surround myself with people and, and uh, that knew more than me. And I just became, to this day, I just have this like voracious thirst and hunger for knowledge mm. and just this awareness that I don't know enough. And truth be told, it has served me very well. And now when I dive into, so now filmmaking is my new passion. I mean, it's been there for, for quite some time and it ties into being an actor, but now that I'm diving into filmmaking, I'm diving in with that same sort of um, awareness of my own ineptitude. And it just makes me such a great student and it serves me well. I know other people who were driven by parents who were too strict and because of the way they were driven, they went on to you know, get, become a doctor or do something great. And now it's like, well, that kind of worked out well for me. It was unfortunate, <laughs> but like, I, I guess I benefited from that in some ways. Do you think that God uses these things in our life for our good? Or do you think these are things that we just need to uh, put aside and... Um, Actually, I don't even know the question I'm asking, but can you speak at all to that, to the sort of thought I'm having around this whole idea? I, I think, first of all, what I would want to say is very clearly up front is two things. God does not cause any of these hard, bad things to happen mm. to us. God, God does not sit there and say, hmm, well, if I move this pawn over here, then it will cut Anthony in such a way that he will later go over here and that will be good. Um, I don't believe that's the way God works at all. That can be confusing because I do believe the second point is that God relentlessly brings the good out of our bad. So God is at work in the things that happen to us, the things that grieve God, the things that grieve us, but he is certainly at work bringing beauty from the ugly things. Uh, so it's, I'd want to say that very clearly before we, we go any further. Mm. Uh, I, I think the, the, what you're going to find the difference is where it bears lasting good fruit versus lasting bad fruit is performance versus identity. You know, being pushed really hard to become a doctor, to learn musical instrument. You know, that's a classic example that I hear from people all the time. My parents forced me into piano and violin and I hated it and I hate it. But now that I'm 35, I'm so glad that I learned the violin. 
let's let's just say yes. Life includes hard things, and some things that are uh, most things that are worth doing, or even if they're hard, they're they're worth embracing. But if your identity, if the core of who you are, if if where you feel you draw value from, gets interwoven in a deep level to that achieving, to that pushing. I don't know who I am if I'm not studying 18 hours a day and breaking my back and, you know, and pouring it out, learning the stuff. If, I, if you don't know who you are outside of that, that's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. And your life is going to be driven by the endless pursuit of whatever that, that need. So in your case, you know, if your life, Anthony, gets driven by the endless pursuit to catch up to some standard that you feel you never reached, and that's going to sow destruction into all of your relationships. You're never going to be in a place of peaceful contentment. You know, your wife will never be enough for you. Your kids will never be enough for you. There'll always be some measure of uh, pain because you're not enough for you because you can't actually just sit still and say, I've come far enough, even in myself. Wow. But if, if you can come to a place of peace, then uh, like, like you said, those that that push that motivator can be a really useful thing in your life, right? Like for for me, my deep motivation is to help people. I just love helping. That's what brings me so much joy. And there's been seasons of my life where that's brought me all kinds of trouble because, like I said earlier, with the relational thing, when I couldn't let people go, my the way I got my need met was basically. If people, if I become indispensable to people, they'll mm. never leave me Ooh. and I'll always feel necessary. And so I would help, quote unquote, help people out of a selfish desire to keep them close to me. Wow. And it took some embarrassing inner work to come to terms with that, that, that there were many people that I only helped because I wanted to keep them close to me. So it was completely self-serving when I came to that, was able to let some of that go and come to that deep place of enoughness in myself. It actually free. I I don't, I'm not controlling or manipulating in those relationships anymore because my identity isn't from being a helper though. I still love to help. There's nothing wrong with helping. It's not my identity. Okay. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Cause I was, I was with you right up to that moment. Um, your identity is not as a helper, but I understand it's not healthy to have an identity that is in something unhealthy, but being a helper, isn't that a great identity to have? That is exactly what I said to myself for many years. Like everybody else's identity may be placed badly, but surely not mine. Surely being a helper is relentlessly good. Well, there's, there's two problems with it. One is what I just explained that the outworking of having my identity as a helper was if a relationship ever didn't need my help anymore, oh, I, right. I was now thrown into crisis. Mm. I, I remember, and I share this in the, in the book, I remember a Sunday at church where I was, I was thinking about a couple who I love deeply, whose marriage was in a very difficult place. And I felt kind of like the, the whisper of the spirit say to me, what happens if their marriage doesn't make it? And, and I felt my heart break. And I said, I don't think I could handle that. And, and I realized just in myself, 
I realized a big part of the reason I couldn't handle that was because then I couldn't help them keep their marriage working. It wasn't actually at the grief that they would experience. Some of it was, some of it totally was, but a big part of it was I don't know who I would be to my friends anymore if I'm not helping them. And I'm like, okay, that doesn't sound healthy. Mm. Like that, that just doesn't sound like a healthy friend. That sounds mm. selfish and self-serving and dressed up in, in good clothes. And the other thing that happened is, is because I put so much of my, my identity in helping others, I never ask for help. Mm. To, to this day, it remains difficult for me to ask for help. It's not mm. even that I'm opposed to it. It just rarely occurs to me that I'm allowed to ask for help because my, mm. my thinking is so wrapped around, I'm the one who helps other people. Um, for those of you who are into Enneagram language, you'll be like, oh, this guy's a classic type too. I'm like, yes, exactly. Uh, and so what happened then is that, is that I did damage to myself because I never asked for help for me. I never really saw myself as worthy of being helped. Everybody else should be helped by me. That's what I understand self-sacrificial love to be. I'm very being mm. very Christ-like. I'm taking up my cross. You know, but then you, you, you stumble across, you know, passages like Matthew 22, and it's like, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And my understanding on that was love your neighbor instead of love yourself. Wow. And so then, you know, it, it began to fall apart for me. And I was like, yeah, actually, I think I've done myself dishonor. I've done myself damage. I've dishonored the image of God mm. in me. And I've called it righteous. And I've called it self-sacrifice. Mm. But actually... I was just not willing to look at my own life and look at my own pain and admit that maybe there are areas of my heart that still need to be brought into the light and be transformed. Mm. So when you find yourself aware of one of these aha moments, like, you, you know, when, when you were explaining to me that if I am driven by this like insatiable hunger to learn more and achieve more that I, then I won't be able to rest. I won't be able to just be with my wife and kids and that's enough. Right away, I thought about a vacation that we had where I would wake up early every day on vacation to get work done so I could catch up, you know, just on, on this, just this feeling that never goes away that I'm always behind. Um, you sharing that, you know, realizing, oh wait, I'm always in the role of the helper and this is getting in the way of my relationships. I find sometimes when you have the, these moments and maybe someone listening right now is having that moment right now, like, oh, I do this thing. Life moves so fast. It is like, okay, I got to like write this down or like hit pause, but I got to go pick up my kids and then I got to get dinner and then I got to do that. And then it's like, you just get thrown back into the, to the madness. What for you has helped you drive this knowledge deeper? And so that it actually makes lasting change in your life. Yeah, you talk to any you know, therapist and they will say, you have to do the work. And so uh, what, I've, what I've tried to do with this is, is to repackage a bunch of tools into bite-sized chunks so that you can do it in your, in your busy life. You can read a 10-minute reflection and do a 10-minute prayer meditation and and maybe, you know, hopefully most people can squeeze 20 minutes out here or there. 
the fact is, is that, that like, there are aspects of our busy Western culture that are fundamentally toxic and are irredeemably so. We are too busy and, and you and I are, will have to make a change and we'll have to slow down and we'll have to carve space out to do things that are meaningful. That doesn't mean that we can't be efficient with the things that are meaningful and we can't, you know, use our time wisely. I mean, you take an extreme example because they're helpful for us. I had Kayla Steklein on the show recently, whose husband, Andrew, died by suicide a couple of years ago. And I said to Kayla, how do you get through each day? You're a single mom. You've got three boys. I'm the eldest of three boys. I get some of that in COVID, living on your own. And she said that she has to wake up early before her sons are up and have a bit of time for herself. She said if she doesn't do that, then she doesn't make it through a day. So I do think there is an aspect where we're going to have to come to terms with our life and say, this is too much. I can't spend as much time on my phone. I can't spend as much time on TV. Maybe my children will be okay not being in as many programs as they're in. Obviously in COVID, so much of this has been thrown topsy-turvy and we're all finding weird ways to cope. So I, I do think that we have to push back to a degree, but, but I think we have to do the work. We have to um, have, have to have the courage to make a change. You know, I mean, if you talk to an entrepreneur or someone, you know, th- these are folks who have made a change, who have stepped out, who have decided to really push and do something and it's hard. And I understand that I was very privileged to have a period of time, six months or so, where I could kind of lay on my couch and do this work very deeply. I understand that, uh, that I, I was blessed economically in a way that the majority of the people on this planet are not. My hope is that out of my blessing, I can be a blessing to everybody else because of the work I've done to, to boil this stuff down to very digestible nuggets so that you only have to spend 20 minutes or th- however long, even 20, 30 minutes a week. You don't have to, it's a 30 day devotional, but you don't have to take 30 days. You take a year, whatever. I think, I think you have to find a way to do the work. And my hope is that I've made it a little easier and more digestible to help busy people do the work, choose to do the work. Does that, is that fair? Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I think you're right. I think the fact that you, you took that time to dive deep um, you were able to come out, you know, in screenwriting, they talk about, you know, the hero's journey and how the hero goes on this journey and then come back with it, comes back with an elixir that helps his community, that helps her community. And I feel like that's what you've done. You went on this journey and you've come back with this elixir. And um, I could tell you just going through the book, you know, I'm on day six right now and day four and day five, um, I'm sitting out on my balcony right here, and this is where I did day four and day five. And it is so beautiful. And you're right, because, you know, you read the devotional, and then you walk us through centering prayer and meditation and breathing. And it really does drive everything deeper. But it is bite-sized, and you do go on your own pace. Um, I would love, if you're up for it, to do one of these devotionals right now to do one of sort of one of the breathing exercises or something like that just so anyone who hasn't had a chance yet to have an encounter with this book which is really what it is it's an encounter 
it's not just reading a book or reading a devotional. It's an encounter with yourself and with the spirit. So can we, can we do that now? Yeah, sure. That'd be fun. One thing I do want to say before we do that is that uh, Anthony and I met up this one time randomly because the guy who didn't finish high school is now a sought after speaker at high schools because (laughs) this is how life works (laughs) sometimes. And, and I'd gone to see Anthony speak in, in Guelph here and we hadn't caught up in years. And so I just was like, Oh, I want to go and and listen. And I loved his presentation. Um, You all need to bring Anthony out to do his thing. (laughs) So we ended up going for a walk afterwards and we ended up in the cemetery (laughs) <laughs> and it was like raining and miserable. Yep. And, and, I, and I was deep in this journey at that time. And Anthony's like, so what are you doing right now? And I'm like, well, you know, I've gone on this love quest to meet myself and learn to love my own heart. And he's like, Anthony's like, okay, show me practice right now. <laughs> and so we, I led him, I led Anthony through this, this thing in this cemetery in the rain. And it was the first time that I'd, that I'd stepped out of my own sphere Mm. and anybody else had shared it with anyone. And I didn't know if it would work. I didn't know if it was universal. I didn't know if it was just me. I didn't, I had no grid. And Anthony had such an encounter, like Mm. like like I could see the tears coming down his face Mm -hmm. that that in in so many ways was the catalyst that, that made me go, I've got to write this down. I've got to turn this into something because it's bigger than me. And it, and it felt a little bit like the Lord being like, uh, yeah, uh-huh. Like mm. all, all the blessings I give you are bigger than you. So, so um, thank you for asking me in the first place. Wow. Thank you for being open <laughs> because if you hadn't asked me in the first place, I'd never let another, another person through this. I'd only done it with me. Wow. So. Well, well, that's funny because that ties into um, me being a high school dropout and being the youngest. Because what I used to do in conversations where someone was talking about something that I didn't know, I would pretend to know and then go Google it afterwards. And I've done that myself. And, and so at that time, I was learning like about vulnerability and about being open and being curious. How many times are we scared to be curious and say, I don't know about that. I was just, just a little aside. I, I once took a mission trip with a, a team and we went to Bangladesh and we were helping pastors in Bangladesh and just equipping them and encouraging them. They were being persecuted and we were there to just kind of strengthen them. While in Bangladesh, I've never been in that part of the world. I'm walking through a marketplace and there's all these beautiful smells and sights and colors and the language and the food. It it was amazing. And I'm walking with this uh, well-seasoned traveler who's been around the world. And as we're walking, we're in this great conversation and he stops in the middle of a market and he says, Anthony, have you ever had a fig? And I thought, oh no, I've never had a fig. I'm going to sound like... So, so I'm going to sound like such a loser if I admit I've never had a fig. Or it's that moment where someone says, hey, do you know, like, you know, Andy Martinez? And you're like, oh, no, I don't know who that is. Of course. Yeah, yeah, I know the name. Who's that? You know, you just pretend, right? 
And so he said, have you ever had a fig? And I didn't want to be the loser who's never had a fig. So I said, <laughs> yeah, 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 I've had a fig. And he said, oh, ah, all right, okay, let's go. And he kept walking. And then I turned to see where he was looking and there was someone selling figs. And I realized he wanted to have this experience with me. Wow. But because I pretended that I knew what that was, I missed out on the experience. And so because of that moment, I, I learned like, Anthony, you, you've got to be vulnerable, mm. especially with people you trust. And so that day in the cemetery, you said, I'm walking through this journey of self-love. And I didn't know what that looked like. And I usually would have pretended I knew all about it, but instead I chose to be vulnerable. And, and that's why I said to you, hey, walk me through that. What does that look like? And that's why I ended up standing in the mud in a cemetery with tears running down my face with one of the most profound spiritual experiences I have ever had in my life. Come on. That's amazing. And you know what? You wouldn't know this, and you'll probably think this is very silly, but your vulnerability and your authenticity also just like really impacted me because I feel like as men, there's such comparison. So, so few of us are given like healthy formation as men, um, emotional presence. And so even for you to be honest with me, that you would like me to lead you through that, like I, I was like, he wasn't pretending. He just opened mm -hmm. that. He just opened right up. And so obviously it had an impact in terms of this material, but it impacted me to be like, man, I love this guy. Like I already love Anthony. He's like this, he's like a couple of years older than me, like one of the sexiest men alive. And I'm just like, <laughs> I like, like, I have, I have idolized aspects of you. And then there's like, he's just being so integrous and honest mm. and vulnerable. I'm like, well, I, I can continue to be like that too. Like, I think as men, we're crying out for role models and especially mm. ones that are vulnerable and honest and open. So yeah, yeah. So yeah that, I think that was a very transformative thing for both of us in the rain. Oh man, man. All right. So with let's with the corpses, come on. All right. So I want you to get yourself comfy. If you're mm -hmm. listening, if you can, if you're sitting in a chair, just kind of get your feet square on the ground if you can. And I want you to take a deep breath in your nose. Hold it for a moment and then release it. Part of the reason we do this is that the trauma centers of our brain can be brought to peace by this kind of breathing. It has an impact in our body. When you're in fight or flight, you cannot breathe this way. And so by breathing this way intentionally, you can bring your body to calm. Now I want you to interlace your fingers with one another, and I want you to hold them at the bottom of your tummy, facing upwards, as if you were holding an egg or a ball. And I want you to, as you breathe in, swing your hands up and out and curve them around as if you were tracing the outline of a ball, like a beach ball right in front of your tummy. So you're just gonna kind of curve them 
curve them up and around as you breathe in. And then when you breathe out, I want you to push them straight down towards the ground so that your fingers are now stretched and your palms are facing the ground. So you're gonna swing your arms up and push down. And then you can, with your arms pushed down and your palms facing down, swing your arms up together all the way up over the top of your head. So your palms are now facing upwards and then split your hands and bring them down on either side of you as if you're tracing a huge circle. This is called beach ball breathing. I did not invent it. And so we got our hands back together at the bottom. We go up and around the ball as we breathe in. Down, we swing our arms all the way up and out. I want you to pay attention to your body. Do you feel any different? Is there a bit more peace? A little bit more presence? Mm. So you can just keep breathing kind of naturally. And I want you to now listen to the room around you or wherever you are, the outside. I want you to feel with your skin what you can feel, the sensations. Are you warm? Are you cold? Are you just right? You're going to be able to hear my voice. Is there anything else you can hear? Just pay attention for a moment to your surroundings. Now I want you to just listen to my voice gently. As you breathe, consider that before creation, you already existed in the mind of God. God imagined you and wanted you to exist. When you had no form, when you had not become anyone, or achieved anything, you were seen, known, and loved by God. You were already enough for him. As you breathe, consider that God created all of existence to house you, his dream, so that you could experience life. And so God could treasure you experiencing life. And so you could treasure God. You don't have to do anything to please him or her. Just by existing, you are a blessing. Now, I want you to consider that God is present in everything. Between your atoms, God holds them together. With every breath you take, the oxygen and nitrogen and other gases in the air, you are drawing the presence of God into your lungs and into your belly.
can you imagine the divine life-giving energy of love which gently but firmly holds all things together entering your lungs mixing with your blood and flowing out to every part of you imagine god's golden light trickling throughout your arms your hands your fingers your chest your belly your groin your legs your toes so god is right here god is pleased to dwell with you god gave you your body as a sacred temple where you could meet with the divine and know love. I'd like you to put your hand over top of your heart. Just notice the way that your chest rises with each breath. And I want to remind you that you are an exquisite, unique, wonderful creation. That you are beloved by God. That your body is a gift. That God has a body too. You belong here. This is your space. You are allowed to take up all the space you need. You already dwell in the house of the Lord. Now I want to invite you to speak some things over yourself. So I'm going to use my own name and I want you to use your own name. Jonathan, I know your life hasn't been easy. Anthony, I know your life hasn't been easy. I know you've been hurt over and over again. I know you've been hurt over and over again. I know you're still carrying a lot of that pain. I know you're still carrying a lot of that pain. I also know that you've worked really hard just to keep going. I also know that you've worked really hard just to keep going. And you've actually done it. And you've actually done it. Your ability to survive and keep going despite all the hardship is incredible. Your ability to survive and keep going despite all the hardship is incredible. Jonathan, I want you to know that I see and know the burdens you carry. Anthony, I want you to know that I see and know the burdens you carry. I know how far you've come with them. I know how far you've come with them. You are remarkable. You are remarkable. Thank you, Jonathan, for who you are. Thank you, Anthony, for who you are. I love you. I love you. 
You are enough for me. You are enough for me. And now I want you to just pay attention to the way you feel after saying those things to yourself. Some of you may feel stupid, may feel very silly. Some of you may feel overwhelmed emotionally. That may have been hard for some of you to say. How, how does it feel for you, Anthony? What, how does your body and heart and soul feel? I feel um, uh, a little self-indulgent. Like, is, that, is this okay? Is this too much? Is this too self-indulgent? Like, it feels really good, but at the same time, there's a little bit of guilt at the very back of my head. Like, Right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. What I would encourage you to do is to become curious with that. Is to not just run away from that. Don't judge it, but just get curious and say, huh, I wonder why I feel that this is perhaps a bit much. Mm. That this is over the top. I wonder why I feel both a sense of joy and goodness mm. and guilt. Oh, man. And you don't have to answer that in any yeah, hurry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sit yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let's do one more quick exercise, um, even with that in the back of your mind. Yeah, sure. So let's just uh, return to our breathing. And picture God, Jesus, whatever the divine looks like in your kind of consciousness. Just see if you can picture that in your mind's eye. For me, it's, it's Jesus, and, and, and we're always on the beach. So see if you can just get to some kind of imagination. And if you don't think that you ever sense God, I just give you permission to completely make this up in your head. Like, just use your imagination and just imagine you and some kind of imagination manifestation of the divine it needs to feel hopefully that that manifestation is loving and is light and is safe and is good if you don't feel safe with god that's another topic and i do get into that in the book but i just generally want to invite you to feel safe and ask divine love to bring safety and peace to you Now I'd like you to ask Jesus if he has anything that he wants you to tell yourself. And we'll just take a minute and you can do that. Did you, uh, did you sense anything there, Anthony? Yeah, I did. I did, man. I um, struggled at first to picture Jesus 
because, um, you know, as a, as a black man growing up, seeing images of Jesus as this white guy, and then, you know, knowing where he's from in the Middle East, knowing he, he didn't look like that. He's not a, you know, I always, anytime I have to picture Jesus, it's for some reason, the race thing kind of makes me stumble. Like, what did he look like? And it's, it's silly and it's got nothing to do with his divinity. Um, but I, I was just struggling trying to get an image. But I'm sitting on my balcony and I'm in LA and the sun is shining on me. And as the sun started warming my neck, I felt like that's a helpful image for God. This, this, just this, this, presence of good and it's not too hot today it's just it's 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 a beautiful sun and it was just warming my neck and then I felt God's presence and I went back to the beach ball the breathing and I realized where I'm sitting on my balcony when you asked me to stretch my hands above my head and then extend them to my sides and take up all the space I need here on my balcony, I can't quite reach out because I, I, I hit the edge of the balcony. And that image came to me when you said, is, is there anything that God wants you to tell yourself? And that image of me not having enough room, like, ooh, I, I, so I can't take up that much space. I better, I better shrink myself. That's the image that I felt like God was, was showing me. Anthony, you can take up space. That sort of like I'm doing that in life too. Like, oh, I, I don't want, I only want to take up as much space as I like, I don't want to get in anyone else's way. And, and that image came to me. And this idea of expressing extravagant love and receiving extravagant love and taking time just to love myself and receive God's love, it kind of felt like my arms bumping into my balcony. It kind of felt like, hey, you know, hold on. You know? Uh, it's a bit much. <laughs> it's a bit much. It's just, just as much as you need and then keep going, right? It's like, there's not enough soup for everybody. Just take a little ladle and then, or ladle, and then, and then you know, let everyone else have some. And I just felt like God and, um, and the sun warming my neck, encouraging me, Anthony, you are enough. You take up all the space you need. There's room for you in me and in the world. And um, without words, it wasn't words that I felt, but that was sort of the feeling I had. Mm. Does that make sense? That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I would say, I, I hesitate, I hesitate to speak to your racial experience because it's not mine. But you said that you struggle and that this has been a stumbling block for you, picturing mm-hmm. Jesus in the flesh. And then you said it's silly. And I would humbly suggest that it's not silly. Mm. That it is difficult for you because of very real experiences. Mm. And probably because your heart longs to attach a weight to Jesus and his manifestation and his blackness. 
a weight that feels right and honest and true. And so the fact that it is a stumbling block is not silly. That is deep integrity mixed with your very real pain. And so I would give yourself permission to journey with that. Give yourself permission for it to be a big deal. Mm. Mm. It's not silly. Wow. See, that's, that's the same bumping into the balcony. Like, don't take up so much space. Don't make such a big deal about things. Don't, your trauma, you know, your racial trauma, it's not that big a thing. Just move on, you know? And it's so good to just be affirmed and just be uh, reminded that, you know, what has affected me is important. And if I'm stumbling over something, instead of just, just get on with it, just move on, just sweep that under the rug again, like you've done for decades, just to be, to be encouraged and affirmed, it feels great. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm so honored that you shared that with me yeah and with us Mm -hmm. that's that's what I've come to learn and I'm far from perfect at practicing it but that's what I've really come to learn with myself and it's it's kind of like that everything happens for a reason thing which I think is kind of a little bit bogus in the broader sense of the world but if I feel this way, there's a reason I felt this way. If I'm afraid of this, if I'm stumbling over this, mm. there's, a, there's a reason for it. Mm. And to be trauma-informed about it means mm. that I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm not going to re-traumatize myself. I'm going to extend grace mm. and gentleness and compassion to myself. Mm. I'm going to say, Jonathan... That's a real need. Mm. And maybe it seems like it's not something that a 35-year-old man should need anymore. Mm. But if five-year-old me never received it, five-year-old me still needs to receive it. Mm -hmm. And I can listen to myself and find out how to give it to myself. And five-year-old me starts to build trust with 35-year-old me. Mm. And wholeness and trust and integrity takes deeper root. And when I started this whole thing, man, I was so scared that I was just going to end up in vanity. Mm -hmm. Right? Like even when you talked about feeling like it's too much, more than you deserve, all of that was in my head. I'm just going to, it's just going to be hubris, man. Like pride and narcissism. I'm just, I'm just trying to justify my own narcissism. Mm. And after a few weeks of doing this work, finding God inside, looking back at me and I'm like, God, I didn't expect you to, to find you in here. Mm. And God's like, I've been here all along. I've just been waiting for you to come and find me. Mm. 
that's moved me in compassion to others because I've seen what I've done to myself and I've seen how unkindly I ride myself. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's made sense of love your neighbor as yourself because actually now I'm not trying to control you anymore, man. Like I, mm. I don't need to help you, but you shared with me vulnerably and it connected to my heart and it reminded parts of mm. me about things I've done to me. Mm. And so it's my joy to offer you the same life raft, the same thing that I've needed, you know? Mm. That's the journey. My daughter is uh, 12 years old and she struggles in math. And she's in online school right now and the teacher's going through stuff and everyone gets it and she doesn't get it. And to ask for help would mean to stop the lesson and say, hey, I know 29 of you get it, but I'm gonna put up my hand and say, I don't understand this. Can we slow down and just, can you explain that to me? But the courage it takes to stop the class and admit, hey, I'm having a hard time with this one. Um, it's, It's hard. And I feel like that's what this work is, is loving yourself enough to pay attention to those areas in your life where you are having a hard time. Yeah. Things that seem like they, you look around, it seems like this is easy for everyone. You know, when you said picture Jesus and you said you were on the beach, you know, with Jesus. And I was like, man, why can't I just be on the beach? Like he's already moving ahead and I'm still, wait, picture, okay, hold on. You're stuck behind catching up to Jesus. I'm stuck behind catching up. And, um, you know, that's just one area of my life. How many other areas, you know, when I, do I realize, hey, there's certain times where everyone else seems to have an easy time with this. And this is really hard for me. And loving yourself enough to slow down and explore that, I think it's key for me right now. I, w- I would also say that while there are things that other people don't struggle with, people are in so much more pain than they let on. Mm. Even practically for your daughter, I would guarantee that if she gets the courage to slow the thing down and the teacher actually listens and does it, 20% of that class are all going, oh, thank God. <laughs> I'm so glad she spoke up because mm. I didn't have the courage to. Wow. Wow. But Jonathan, I'll be real with you, man. Anytime I'm on Instagram, it doesn't look like anyone's struggling, man. <laughs> I hate it, man. <laughs> I, I, would, I would probably cut social media out of my life if it wasn't the way that I connect most meaningfully mm-hmm. with most of my, my readers and my, my people. Yeah. Um, I have to put so many boundaries in place because you're absolutely right. It, it, it presents like everyone is fine. Um, and, and we've built a whole culture around that. Um, it does real harm to us. And so I think that's partly the, the, the need for, for community, for friends, for flesh and blood relationship. That's vulnerable. That's authentic. Um, it's not easy, Yeah, but it's worth doing. Hey, can I ask you one last question? Please. You talk a lot about the body. Uh, in this, I don't even want to call it a book. It's like a devotional journey. Um, but you talk a lot about the body. And I, I've never thought about my body in connection to the divine. 
why to you is it so important to get connected to the body in order to really connect to our spirituality? I think there's a few uh, things there. I would say, I would say for myself, um, I didn't ever think much about it either. And I think that is in many ways is my privilege speaking as a white male, like, yes, I'm not like the peak of athleticism. So I can't say I'm, I'm the top of the stack when it comes to bodies, Mm. but in terms of despised bodies, I'm in the safe zone. Like I'm Mm -hmm. so in the safe zone. I'm a slim build male whose Mm. biggest problem is that I'm five foot six. Like Mm. I have very few physical realities that are problem to my body. But as I've listened to the stories of others and heard just how deep the existence pain goes, that you can't connect with God because you're black and God is an angry white man in the sky Mm. throwing lightning bolts who hates you. Mm. When I sat down with Christina Cleveland over Skype and she said to me, Jonathan, this isn't abstract theology. This isn't like what model of atonement do we think is more like the character of God? She said, my whole life, I've been reinforced by the idea that God hates me because of my blackness. Oh my goodness. And then I've gone to have conversations with people, you know, who are of different body size and different type and of, and of women whose bodies have been commodified. And I've, And I've had to have my eyes opened to understand that the body is really, really important. That's been the journey for me. The other thing is that, you know, the church that that you and I grew up in, in in at least in in the years that we were together, and the the, the charismatic Mm. space had so many wonderful gifts. But I think one of the problematic aspects of of a lot of charismatic theology is a kind of tending towards escapism. It's kind of like, Mm -hmm. well, we we love these divine experiences with God. And one day I'll just get to go away from this wretched earth to be in puffy white clouds with Jesus forever. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not the scriptural narrative. And, And I don't think we were ever taught that explicitly, but there's this implied superiority to spiritual things and that the, the, the matter is not quite God's top agenda. Mm. And I think as soon as we really consider that, that God came in a fleshly body nurtured by the placenta of a woman, mm. like God was nurtured. Mm. God saw fit. <laughs> God saw fit to, to be nurtured for nine months by the placenta of a human woman. And then God saw fit to be pushed out of a human woman's vagina and God saw fit to poo and pee as a human being on earth for 30 some years. That is a deeply redemptive picture of our physicality. Wow. And, and not, not just even to mention the fact that like it's new heavens and a new earth. Earth, earth, Heaven comes down to earth. Mm. Jesus's body wasn't left in the tomb. It, it's part of the whole picture of who Jesus is still to this day. Uh, and so the body wasn't important to me really until I listened to the stories of other people. And then as I began to realize like, where is it that I encounter God right here in my body, right? Like even if it's a divine mystical experience, that's a divine mystical experience that my conscious brain is making sense of. And my brain is three or four pounds of flesh contained inside my skull. Mm. And as I then also began to understand trauma, if anybody wants to go deeper actually on this stuff, I 
at the end of the book, I've recommended a ton of resources because I've only just scratched the surface and I'm not an expert in these tools. I'm a practitioner and, mm. a, and a student. And so I've recommended tons of resources to go deeper on each of these things. And one of the books about body that is the best is The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel mm. van, van der Kolk. And he, and he was one of the ones to first put into language what we've understood now from the science about how everything that happens to us, our body keeps track of and makes mm. manifest. Uh, and so the, the connections to spirituality, huge. Uh, I know that's a long-winded answer, but I hope there's no. good in there for you. No, that's so good. That's so good. Um, Jonathan, I, I, I just love that this journey that you've been on, you're now taking us on. And I just love, you know, that word holistic. It's such an overused term, but this really is a holistic approach. <laughs> like it really is. I wish no one used that term before. So, uh, because that's what this is. And I'm only on day five right now. Um, and I, I, I'm really excited about the next 25 days. Thanks, man. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Yeah. So there you have it, my friends. The book comes out September 22. You have got just a couple of days left to pre-order it if you want to get in before the launch date. Why should you do such a thing? Well, I'm giving away a number of pre-order bonuses. Specifically, you'll get MP3 downloads of all the meditations so you can listen to them uh, wherever you are in the world without having to be online or without having to read them to yourself. You will. Uh, you can get a free ebook copy for a friend. Flip me their email address and I'll send them a free copy since you bought one. Oh yeah, that's right. You get two additional readings that aren't in the book. So that's bonus. You also get some lock screen stuff for your phone. And yes, if you order three or more copies, then you get a bunch of like next level benefits. You get the audiobook for free and you'll go in the drawer to win a package of really excellent healing books that uh, I recommend. So hand chosen by me. So head over to jonathanpuddle.com slash you are enough. You'll find all the pre-order instructions there. You'll find what you need to do with your receipt to get the pre-order stuff. You can find the links to buy it in all the platforms. Thank you, my friends. Thank you so much. I would love it if you'd spread the word. More than anything, I'd love it if you would read the book and do the work and experience this wholeness for yourself. <laughs>